I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday morning gathering. Uh, For those of you less familiar with me, my name is Paul, and I serve as one of the pastors here. So this morning, we are wrapping up our sermon series in the book of James. Now, if you're wondering where we're headed next week, we will be, we'll be doing something we typically do every summer, jumping into the book of Psalms, and we'll actually pick up where we left off last year with Psalm 32. Reading the Psalms may be something that you are less familiar with. So one of the things we create to equip you is this nice little bookmark that provides thoughts on different ways you can engage a psalm each day throughout the week. There's questions to ponder, reflections to make, how to apply the passage to everyday life, which is sometimes hard with the psalms, and how to consider how a psalm points to Christ. So we have these bookmarks at the welcome table, which is just outside that auditorium door to the left. We invite you to pick one up as you begin to reflect on Psalm 32. Uh, so, so last week, Pastor Chris mentioned that I would be closing out our, our sermon series this morning. And as he did, he made a cheesy baseball reference, saying something like, as a closer, I could be relied upon like the great pitcher Mariano Rivera. Now, Pastor Chris noted that his baseball analogy fell flat. I, I don't know if that means that you all don't like baseball or if you just have no idea who Mariano Rivera is because he retired way back in 2013, which was not that long ago. I mentioned this reference because I wanna, I'm going to piggyback a bit and offer another sports story. The story of two sports teams and how they closed out, catch the repetition of closeout, how they closed out the season in 2023. So the Dallas Mavericks, who play in the National Basketball Association, going into the final stretch of the season, they had an opportunity to make the playoffs. However, many, many considered that they wouldn't go very far. So rather than go all in, the Mavericks pulled back. Whenever a team makes the playoffs in the National Basketball Association, what happens is they lose the opportunity to get one of the higher draft picks, getting one of the better players coming out of college to improve their chances of winning next year. So the organization made a decision to sit out all the starters, to influence the game so it would end in a loss. They essentially considered the season a lost cause And so they functioned out of that mentality. Okay, that's the first team. The second is the Houston Texans of the National Football League. Going into the final game, they had only won two games. They were awful. They had been eliminated from the playoffs weeks ago with the worst record in the league. A loss would ensure they would have first pick 
They would get that player coming out of college they wanted most. But rather than losing the final game to lock in that draft position, rather than considering the game a lost cause, the Texans played to win. With less than a minute to play, down by seven points, their quarterback threw a desperation pass into the end zone, and they scored. Then, rather than kick the extra point and go for the tie, which, which would still have given them the first pick, the Texans successfully executed a two-point conversion, winning the game, but losing the first pick in the NFL draft. Here's the way one journal outlet put it. The Houston Texans humiliated after winning NFL game they were meant to lose. The Texans did not function like the game was a lost cause. Now, just in case you're wondering, for all the Bears fans in the room, the Bears ended up with the first pick. Their team was awful. <laughs> now, now, I tell these stories certainly a, a bit of fun. As a, as a sports fan, I may have just wanted to tell some stories of how teams closed out the season as we close out this sermon series. But those differing dispositions highlight how we sometimes functionally approach aspects of Christianity. That there are struggles with sin that you and I experience. We consider trying to defeat those things a lost cause. And so we function that way. There are disciplines we want to put in place, being committed to reading through the whole Bible. And then we get to the books of Leviticus and Numbers, and we consider that discipline a lost cause. This morning, the author of James is talking about the importance of pursuing people who stray from the truth to turn them back. We may think that once people stray from, from the faith, we are no longer obligated to pursue and share the gospel with them. We may think because they have turned from Christ, pursuing them is a sort of lost cause. James is saying that's not true. The title of my sermon this morning is No Lost Cause. Pursuing people who stray from the faith is no lost cause. And the big idea for this sermon is anyone saved will seek and search for the one who strays. If you have a Bible, go ahead and Open it up to the short passage read earlier, James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. I want to clarify the, the type of situation this passage is referring to, and, and then consider a few implications for you and I. So let me read. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So, so James is referencing a scenario where people who were raised in the church or became part of the church, they wander from the faith. Rather than walk in line with a commitment to Christ or a commitment to the, to the church, people reject that way of life. Now you may wonder, is this straying from the truth? Is it embracing a sort of false doctrine. Perhaps you know Christians who deny various aspects of orthodox Christianity, the authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, whether or not hell exists, the significance of being created male and female in God's image, or the significance of Christ forgiving sins. Is James referring to someone who embraces false doctrine? 
Or is he referring to someone living inconsistent with the Christian profession of faith? That there are Christians you know, they reject the importance of biblical morality, committing adultery, pursuing sins of addiction as they relate to alcohol or drugs or gambling. Or when it comes to how we view gender and sexuality, embracing an ethic formed more by culture than biblical Christianity. Is this referring to a person whose actions seem to reject Christianity? Well, the answer is it could be either. Straying from the truth could refer to someone embracing false doctrine, or it could be someone embracing an immoral lifestyle. The reality is those two often go together. The fact that people stray from the truth, it shouldn't come as a surprise to people like James, who are familiar with the parable of the sower told by Jesus as recorded in Matthew's gospel. In that parable, Jesus paints a picture of how seeds of the gospel, they fall into all kinds of places. Some are snatched away by birds, some fall on a rocky path, some fall into thorns, and others fall on good soil. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to share the gospel with others in spite of how others may respond. Because sometimes people grow in the faith initially, and then they stop growing. Here's how he explains a couple of places where those seeds fall. And on the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word world, he immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In addition, people who demonstrate growth in the gospel for a season will only later to have that growth stop. In saying people stray from the faith and need to be turned, James may have in mind people who profess faith in Christ, people who pray a prayer, people who get baptized even or become part of the church or part of a gospel community, who, who profess faith with their words, but the way they live, it never validates such a profession. James, James said this earlier in his letter, in the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. The, the person who prays a prayer, the person who gets baptized, the person who participates in the life of a church, who falls away from the faith, who does not live a life consistent with the profession of faith, who strays from the truth, James is concerned for this type of person. And he's saying, pursuing them is not a lost cause. They may turn back. James addresses his encouragement to pursue those who stray to my brothers and sisters, people who are in the faith, which means this encouragement to pursue, it is not reserved for spiritual leaders, for pastors, for gospel community leaders. This is an encouragement to all Christians, any Christian. And when the text says, when someone turns him back, someone can be anyone who follows Jesus. Any ordinary Christian, anyone who is saved by Christ. That would make sense 
Because when a Christian seeks and searches for the one who strays, we demonstrate a significant understanding about the nature of the gospel. We were singing about this earlier, how Jesus seeks and searches for the one who strays. Jesus told this parable in Luke chapter 15. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven when over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You and I are like lost sheep who wander. We stray from the path. When we trust in Christ, it is not because we are so smart or so good in and of ourselves. It is because we have been rescued by the chief shepherd Jesus Christ. We have been made alive in Christ. We have been saved when we rejected truth. If you're with us this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to understand this pursuit of people who stray, of people who rebel and run from God. It is at the heart of the good news of the gospel. The gospel is not about being good enough for God. Changing your behavior to meet a particular religious standard. It is not about pretending and performing. The gospel is about receiving the love of a shepherd that transforms us at the core into a new kind of person that is not centered on self, but instead centered on others and the glory and living for the glory of God. If you want to understand what the love of that shepherd is, seek someone out in this room. We'd love to talk more with you. When we recognize that we have been saved through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we will pursue people who stray. The one who wanders is not a lost cause because you and I were not a lost cause. Anyone saved will seek and search for the one who strays. Now, now having clarified the situation the text is referring to, let's consider a few of its implications. First, prepare to seek and search. So one purpose of this passage is to recruit Christians like you and I to, to be part of this team that pursues those who stray. Many of you probably saw the tragic story this week of the five people who went missing on a submersible exploring wreckage of the Titanic. Our hearts grieve the loss of those souls. When there was still a question of whether or not they had survived, one of the remarkable things that happened is how people were recruited to seek and search for those that had become lost in hopes they could become rescued. Effective search and rescue teams like this they are not typically thrown together last minute. Rather, people are embraced to, asked to embrace a mentality, to embrace a mindset to seek and search before someone is lost. A purpose of this text is to stir you to this type of mindset, 
to be part of this team that seeks and searches for those who are lost. I got to tell you, some, some, some look at a text like James 5, 19 through 20, and they may be drawn to wonder as you engage questions of theology. In saying that someone strays from the truth, in saying someone needs to be turned back, is this text affirming that, that people can do something called lose their salvation? Meaning they would be regarded as dead in their trespasses one day. After trusting in Christ, they would be regarded as forgiven and alive in Christ the next. And then, they, then when they stray from the truth, they would become dead again. They are no longer forgiven. Can someone lose their salvation? As much as I want to answer that question and affirm that once you cross over from death to eternal life, that you can't become dead again, that question, that concern, that is not the burden of this text. The burden is, brothers and sisters, prepare to seek and search. Embrace that mindset. Get off your couch, stop worshiping your comfort, and get on mission to prepare and to pursue those who stray. James is appealing to the virtue of personal responsibility as we relate to people who wander from the truth. There's a disposition that some embrace as Christians. It's all the Lord. God saves people, not me. I mean, the Bible says salvation belongs to the Lord. So when it comes to seeking and searching for people who stray from the truth, we let go and let God. When we do that, we dismiss the significance of our role in the salvation of sinners and turning those who wander. If you're one who would say, God will do what he's going to do when it comes to saving souls or turning people back, if you function that way to excuse your role in pursuing those who are lost, you are misusing scripture to embrace passivity, and you need to repent. That means some of you, this means some of you, preparing to search and seek, it may involve grasping and meditating on the good news of the gospel. Because as we have seen, our understanding of the gospel very much shapes how we relate to the person who strays. When we believe we have been saved by grace, we are patient and kind when we believe we are better than the one who strays, we can be offensive and we tend to give up. Here's Pastor Tim Keller. The moralist believes in proselytizing, so this is sharing the gospel with others, pursuing those who are lost, because we are right and they are wrong. Such an approach is almost always offensive. Our dealings with others, so he's talking about how when we are rooted in the gospel, our dealings with others reflect humility because we know we are saved only by grace alone. Not because of our superior insight or character. We are hopeful about everyone, even the hard cases. Because we were saved only because of grace. Not because we were people likely to become Christians. We are courteous and careful with people. We don't have to push or coerce them. For it is only God's grace that opens hearts, not our eloquence or persistence or even their openness. To prepare and seek, others of you may need to take the step 
to become more involved in the life of a local church. I mean, to be able to identify people who stray from the truth among you, to seek and search for them, you have to be physically present with other Christians. People who participate regularly on the live stream, I love you. But if you regularly engage church community that way, barring significant illness, you are not embracing biblical Christianity. For that matter, if you are simply showing up on Sundays, not getting to know other Christians within the the church in smaller contexts, we want more for you to be present. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, they need you to be present. This is one reason we encourage you to be part of a gospel community. Turning people from their sin, from straying from the truth. I, I see people to, that they try to do that on Twitter, but that's not the platform. You shouldn't do it through a live stream either. It requires embodied presence. When you believe anyone who is saved will seek and search for the one who strays, you will look to be committed to a church community. More than look for friends, more than look for people who are like you, you will look to form relationships with people for the sake of knowing them, to hear their struggles. So you'll reach out and make phone calls. You will will be present physically with others. You will get to know people so that you recognize when they are lost and straying from the truth. The best search and rescue teams, they don't simply show up. They practice, they prepare, they are equipped with the best strategies and techniques. They learn how to work together. The the search and rescue team that pursues those who stray from the truth, that team prepares by growing and understanding biblical doctrine, how to live according to the scriptures, how to approach people who stray from the truth. So the first step here for some to seek and search is to embrace this mindset, prepare to seek and search to grasp this reality. If you are saved, if you have been rescued, you need to be part of the solution of pursuing others who stray and need to be rescued. Because anyone saved will seek and search for the one who strays. That's the first implication of this text. The second, pursue people who leave the church. As we consider seeking and searching for the one who strays, we, we need to consider the question, who do you need to be pursuing or who are you not pursuing? So I had a friend, someone who, is not, who was part of our gospel community for many years who strayed from the truth. It wasn't so much that there was scandalous sin in his life, he simply stopped believing, stopped participating in the life of the church. This played out over many years. Uh, and I have to admit, this, this mindset, no lost cause, preparing to, to search and seek, it was something I did a very poor job embracing. That was less true of my wife. She would seek him out, invite him over to our house for meals. She would pray for him, lead our kids to pray for him. So he came back to the Christian faith. Such good news. God has done a work in his life. I text and talk to him regularly now, although he unfortunately doesn't live around here anymore. And as we were processing him straying from the faith, he asked, hey, why did you stop calling me? Why did, why did people stop reaching out? Now, on the one hand, he had responsibility. He was 
making choices to stray from the truth. It wasn't my fault. He wasn't walking in line with the gospel, and he would admit that. But what he was trying to communicate, because of his understanding of the gospel, how Christ pursues people who reject and run from him, he should have experienced a sort of pursuit like that from me, from other Christians, from a a Christian community. His word stung. Like the Dallas Mavericks, I had functioned with a mindset, pursuing him was a lost cause. I had given up. So as we talked, I, I repented. I told him I was in the wrong. I should have called. I should have reached out from time to time. I couldn't do everything and anything, but I could have done some things, at least more than what I, what I did. Who are the people who have strayed in your life that you should be pursuing? Now, some of you familiar with the scriptures, you may come back and say that we are to exile people who leave the church, like my friend. And you're thinking of Matthew chapter 18. In that chapter, Jesus is describing how followers of Christ relate to someone who is engaging habitual sin patterns. There is a form of escalation that happens. A person is confronted one-on-one. Then a person is confronted with a small group of people. And then the person is confronted by the church. When such a person refuses to listen to the counsel of God's people, Jesus says, if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Someone who persists in straying, embracing doctrinal error, or embracing a sinful lifestyle, you need to be clear that that someone is like an outsider. They are no longer walking according to a profession of faith. They're no longer living like they are a part of the family of God. But what does it mean for this person to be like a Gentile and a tax collector? Are they like a leper to be avoided? Are we to treat someone like they have a dangerous communicable disease? Or do we continue to seek them out and pursue them? Jesus was a friend of tax collectors. He ministered to Gentiles. Jesus didn't avoid contact with them. He didn't treat them as though they should be in distant exile. He searched them. He sought them out. They were not a lost cause. Here's author Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker. Treating others as unbelievers means that we look for every opportunity to evangelize them. We remind them again and again of the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and urge them to receive his forgiveness by repenting of and turning from their sin. If they are behaving in a way that disrupts the peace of the church, it may be appropriate to exclude them from from church property or a gospel community. Otherwise, we should welcome them to Sunday worship or a gospel community gathering, as we do other non-believers. But instead of talking to them in superficial ways, we should graciously and repeatedly remind them of the gospel and urge them of their wrongs. This treatment is designed to bring conviction to stubborn people with the purpose of leading them to turn from their sinful ways and be, to be restored to fellowship with God and fellow believers. I want to go on a brief tangent and say something to some who have been mistreated by a church or people within a church. Some of you had conflict. Some of you were disciplined by a church community. You were exiled, maybe removed from membership. 
but you were not treated as Gentiles and tax collectors. Rather than being treated like a Gentile or a tax collector, you were treated like a leper, someone who should be avoided. Few, if any, searched for you or sought you out. To you, I want to say that's not the way it's supposed to be. And that is not the type of people we want to be at First City Church when we experience conflict, when someone leaves our church, or when we discipline someone and release them from membership. We want to continue to love and to pursue, in particular, those who stray from the truth, those who would reject the faith. We want to seek and search. So we don't treat people who stray like lepers. As Sandy says, we look for every opportunity to evangelize. So in addition to the question, who do you need to be pursuing, we should also ask the question, what do you need to be saying to people who are straying? Are you content with superficial conversation, or are you willing to say hard things, to urge them of their wrongs? Far too many Christians treat people who stray like lepers, and far too many, they remain in relationship but they neglect saying hard things, urging people to turn back from the error of his or her way. As Keller warned, we don't approach people in an intentionally offensive way because we're better than the person who strays. We approach out of compassion. We are not seeking to push people away, but that does not mean when we warn, when we urge, when we challenge in love that people aren't pushed away, that that won't be the outcome. We use dialogue like, hey, remember how you professed to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember how you committed to follow Jesus and obey all his commands. Remember how you committed to be part of a church family. The way you're living, it's different. The way you're living, it's not in line with that profession of faith. As you approach someone who has wandered, hey, friend, you've wandered from the path. You you, you were headed in one direction, and now you're headed somewhere else. Your words must include warning. Are you willing to say hard things? Because anyone saved will seek and search for the one who strays. Okay, so the third implication of this passage, praise people who pursue. The way James words the conclusion to this letter, it doesn't say, my brothers and sisters, pursue people who stray from the truth although that, that's an implication. It also doesn't say, if you stray, turn back, but that's another implication. This text is saying, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know. The text is emphasizing the people of God are to honor and praise the person who pursues and turns the one who strays. It's like recognizing members of the team that seeks and searches for the one who is lost, how they demonstrate courage and valor. So in in addition to the critique from my friend on what I struggled to do, I had a lovely young lady in our church say recently to me, thank you for saving my parents' marriage. Now, now to be honest, I kind of brushed it off. Well, I, I, I didn't save your parents' marriage. God did, and she agreed. Yeah, you, you didn't save it. God did, but thanks for what you did. I wonder, based on what James is saying, if we shouldn't be more receptive to the type of feedback she offered. So part of, part of the challenge, those formed in the Reformed tradition, 
a tradition our church is very much a part of, a tradition that affirms God is the ultimate source of salvation. You may find the language James uses to honor people who pursue, who have turned people back to the faith, somewhat troubling. Let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It sounds like rather than God being the ultimate source of salvation, the person who turns a sinner from the error of his ways, that person is the source of someone's salvation. James wants us to feel the implications of seeking a person who strays and some of the reward of embracing that mission. Whenever we function like people are not a lost cause, whenever we engage a mission to seek and search out people who have strayed from the faith and that person turns from the error of his or her way, there is a way that you and I should be proud and affirmed. James is saying there is a way that you and I have saved that person's soul from death. Many of you are pursuing people some young people who have strayed from the faith. And many of you are making this church a place where people who maybe have wanted to distance themselves from the church, you're making this a place where they find safety and work towards healing and wholeness. You are saving people's souls from death. You deserve some honor and praise for how you are pursuing the one who strays. Thank you. As I conclude, I, I want to ask the question, who do you know that is straying? Who do you need to pursue? Re recently, the number of people identifying as members of a church in the U.S., it fell below 50% for the first time in the 80 years that Gallup has been keeping data. Among all demographics, almost 20% fewer people attend church in 2020 than 2,000. So that's young people and old people, married people and single people, white people, Latino people, African Americans, Roman Catholics and Protestants, all demographics. If we extend that out just a little further, one-third fewer Americans attend church today than in 1993. That would be like one-third of the people in this room. So a, a hundred of the 300 not attending church 30 years from now. I love you people, every one of you. Seeing a hundred of you leave this room would be devastating. People of First City Church, you know people who are straying from the truth, who are leaving Christianity behind, who are abandoning biblical beliefs or living a lifestyle consistent with the Christian faith. Are we pursuing them? Are we having hard conversations with them? May we not consider such a people a lost cause. May we pursue them and not shun them. May we be a people who understand that anyone saved will seek and search for the one who strays. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for, for, for pursuing people like us who stray. That it is, it is not our performance, it is not us pretending that makes us right with God, it is your pursuit, it is what you, you sacrificed for us 
thank you that you are the chief shepherd that, that pursued a sinner like me and turned me from my sin and brought me into the family of God. Father, forgive us when we demonstrate that we do not understand the gospel, when we do not per- pursue people who stray, the hard cases when we consider them a lost cause. Holy Spirit, awaken us to what it means to love and be present with those who reject and run from Christ, who no longer live according to a profession of faith that they have made. Jesus, Holy Spirit, awaken us that we would pursue others, that they may be turned back, that, they, that their souls would be saved from death and cover a multitude of sins.